0: The Hub is a community. Manuscript,
1: book, and print cultures, stamping, problems. You are
0: listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute.
2: The Hub is a space celebrating 10 years
1: created by Carl Tsipras the,
3: Start Change the Hub is about impact. 90%. The Hub is for everyone.
0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Trinity Long Room Hub online. My name is Eve Patton. I'm director of the Hub, which is where we uh, showcase the very best of Trinity's scholarship in the arts and humanities, in literature, history, philosophy, culture, creativity, and language. So it's very appropriate this evening that we're marking and celebrating the publication of some exemplary research, which is Bill Emmett's new book, Japan's. Far More Female Future, which is published by Oxford University Press. Bill Emmett is currently chair of the Trinity Longroom Hub board, and he also chairs the International Institute for Strategic Studies in London. He is a former editor in chief of The Economist, uh, and uh, while working for The Economist, he spent time in Tokyo, and since that time has become a leading expert on Japan. He now chairs the Japanese Society of the UK. And in 2016, he was given the Order of the Rising Sun Award by the Japanese government for services to UK-Japan relations. So Bill is very well qualified to write Japan's far more female future, which looks at how the evolving position of women in Japanese society is implicitly connected to the country's economic and social profile. Japan has experienced very rapid and substantial change in the last half century, a change that's traced by Bill in the book's introduction through the transitions that have happened between the 1964 Olympics in a Japan that was still carrying the traumatic baggage of the Second World War and the planned, but of course, sadly, postponed 2020 Olympics, which were being designed to represent an advanced country that had become, in the words of the organizers, sustainable, spiritually rich and happier. Well is Japan happier? The reality as Bill depicts it is a landscape of economic precariousness in the wake of the 1990s financial crash, a bubble economy of short-term contracts and industrial stagnation. A society that is experiencing what Bill describes in the book as the social dispersal of pain. This is an aging society, but still deeply patriarchal one beset by entrenched gender inequality that manifests in everything from inadequate childcare support to restrictive protocols on women's appearance in the workplace. Japan may be an increasingly female place but how do women gain a foothold in this environment? Well, for me, the real skill of this book is how it answers that question, not in overview statistics, but through listening and talking. Bill records his interviews with 21 Japanese women across the field of business, politics, science, media, art, music. The result is a series of very engaging portraits of the kind of innovative women we would all like to meet. Uh, The business executive who plays jazz piano after board meetings, partly to avoid being the one who makes tea for her male colleagues, Uh, or the leading TV anchor who rewrites her broadcast scripts in difficult handwriting, so they can't then be rewritten by her male producers. Bill writes this book, so we can actually visualize these women. We meet an internationally renowned calligraphy based artist over a hundred years old who appears, and I quote, a thin bird dressed in a kimono. Uh, Or we meet the head of a successful community recycling business who emphasizes her insistence on managerial gender equality with what Bill observes are the longest white painted fingernails he's ever seen on a chief executive. Japan's far more female future concludes with a series of recommendations for increasing the country's financial stability through moves towards gender equality. What struck me about this book and why I want to hear more this evening is that although it's locally specific, it asks the kinds of questions that transfer to other nations. Obvious questions about the regulation of marriage and contraception or the continuing misogyny of the workplace, but also less obvious How, for example, can we evaluate the hidden connective power of older women, that large female contingent that dominates Japan's growing 65 plus population? Well, such questions could be asked closer to home. And we're going to be hearing more about them over the next hour from the author himself and also from our very distinguished guest speakers. And I hope we will have time for you also to put your questions and your comments to Bill and the panel, which you'll be able to do in the the Zoom question and answer uh, space at the bottom of your screen. But for now, I want to turn over to Bill Emmett, who will introduce our contributors on the panel and tell you more about Japan's far more female future. Bill.
1: Well, thank you very much, um, Eve. I was making sure that I am unmuted. Yes, I am. Thank you very much, Eve, for that very kind introduction and for organizing this uh, splendid uh, event. Um, We have uh, three um, panelists, um, one of them on video, but two of them live. And I want to uh, introduce them first before then explaining really the story of the book um, and why um, this book about Japanese women has been written by a male bearded Englishman. Um, which is uh, on the face of it, uh, a slightly strange um, and potentially problematic um, uh, situation to have uh, um, brought about. Our three panelists um, will begin with, um, after my remarks with a video uh, recording I made last week with uh, former ambassador to Ireland, um, Marie Miyoshi, um, who is really the most senior, one of the two most senior um, females in the, uh, the Japanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, she was ambassador to Dublin um, from uh, 2016 to 2019. Uh, and she is now, and I quote, she's now in charge of international cooperation for countering terrorism and international organized crime and Arctic affairs. So quite a portfolio. Uh, in Dublin, um, I'm gonna welcome uh, Akiko Sato, um, who is an executive Uh, for in the market diversification unit for Enterprise Ireland, has lived in Dublin or in Ireland since 2003, has worked for Enterprise Ireland since um, over the last 10 years. And in London, I'm welcoming uh, the other panellist Helen McNaughton, um, who is chair of the uh, SOAS formerly School of Oriental and African Studies at University of London, Chair of SOAS Japan Research Center and Senior Lecturer in International Business and Management. So I'm gonna say my introduction, then we'll have Mary Miyoshi, and then uh, our two panelists will respond and comment and um, from a position of, of uh, I think in both cases, great expertise. So my questions are simple that I wish to answer. Why Japan? Why women? Why me? Um, Why Japan? Because I've been fascinated by Japan for 35 years since I was sent there by uh, The Economist and I do think that Japan both has a lot to teach us but also the study of Japan benefits a lot from an internationally comparative um, approach. Uh, The stories of Japan I think and the ones that we will discuss today are also highly interdisciplinary, which is very much what the Long Room Hub is about. I think we will touch upon sociology, we'll touch upon the arts, we'll touch upon history, we'll touch upon politics. Of course, Asian studies, very much economics, very much demography. Why me and why women? Well, I've been writing about Japan for a very long time with a, uh, a lot of books. Most of the readers of my books in Japan, and uh, I mainly seem to sell to Japanese readers, I mean, Japanese to, to the Japanese market, most of my readers are what I think are fair to describe as middle-aged to elderly men um, because they've been in senior positions in business, uh, what Japanese called ujisan. Um, in thinking about what was going on in Japan, Um, and what I think is the change that I'm going to describe to you towards a greater female role, and at least the issue of women's equality and um, role in politics, in business, in society as a whole becoming more prominent, I felt that actually um, a man writing to that audience of of, uh, male businessmen might have some uh, impact of surprising them and maybe jolting them out of um, their, their attitude. So um, while you, some of you may think of this as mansplaining, and of course in the hub context it's splaining, um, I would say it's really um, a man actually principally um, addressing his traditional Japanese audience and saying, wake up, um, but I hope uh, addressing also a much wider audience, especially of, of female readers and readers around the world. But why this book now? Well, I've been planning and thinking of writing a history of post-war Japan. Um, uh, I've been writing a lot of books for the last 35 years about Japan, but I really want to sit down and write a history of the whole post-war period. And I realized that one aspect that I really had totally neglected in my time was women and the female perspective, the role of women in society, the evolution of that role, uh, and of course, the role of women in business and the absence thereof. The Prompting for this book came up on a boat in Norway, a boat crossing um, a fjord, uh, and um, my wife and I found us talking to a, Japanese, a couple of Japanese women and a younger woman who turned out to be an art dealer from with a gallery in central Tokyo and her mother. Talking to uh, the woman, uh, it turned out that her main client the artist that she sells is uh, uh, the calligraphy artist, the 106 year old now calligraphy artist that Eve Patton introduced just now. Um, and she had published a book the previous year, which sold 500,000 copies, this uh, 100 and then 103 year old artist. So two things followed from this. One, I thought I must meet this lady. But second, it prompted a thought actually rather than researching women's role as a route into the history that I hope to do but will take a lot longer, why not focus on women as such? Um, Since in most of my time, um, writing about Japan, thinking about Japan, because women are so underrepresented in leadership positions, including in universities and and in professional life, I had very rarely um, had the occasion to interview or talk to, to, uh, to women. So why not start? So that's what started the book off. Um, I'm going to ask Francesca to start showing some slides. Mm-hmm. And this is Tokushinoda, the artist that I'm talking about, um, and who was my first interviewee for the book. But as I thought about the issue of, uh, of uh, women in Japan or women's role, what also became clear was that something was changing. There was a wind of change in the air, a wind of change from something of a low base, albeit to mix the metaphors terribly there, um, a wind of change highlighted or being highlighted by the prime minister of Japan himself, Shinzo Abe, in a speech in Davos in 2013. He declared that one of his intentions in his prime ministership was to create a country in which women could and I quote, shine, which would certainly be a first um, since uh, gender inequality was really quite severely um, entrenched. But also uh, in the economic data, uh, I noticed that women's participation in the labor force was climbing really, very rapidly. So what was happening? That's what I wanted to look into. What really explained this? Please show the second slide. Female participation in the labor force had been lower in Japan than in most other advanced countries, um, famously with a large number of people leaving the workforce after they uh, got married. But actually that's been changing um, a lot in the last uh, 20 years but most particularly in the last 10 years. Um, In 2015, proportion of women of working age in uh, participating in the labour force overtook that in the United States and it's now up more or less equal to that in the euro area and is in fact higher statistically speaking at least than in Ireland uh, which is a bit below um, the EU average. Looking into the change that was happening, the big question is there's quantity happening here, you're getting a lot more jobs, a lot more access to women to the the workforce, but what about quality? Leadership roles in Japan remain basically male preserves. Only around 13-14% of the broadly defined leadership roles are held by women in Japan, which compares to somewhere between 20 and 30% in most other advanced countries. So we've got quality, but what about what about, sorry, you've got quantity, but what about quality? Well, looking into it, I realized also, second slide please, that something had been changing, unnoticed certainly by me in education. Leadership in Japan is a very hierarchical affair. Organizations typically appoint people to leadership positions very much in line with age and seniority and the result of that is that a huge gender inequality in university access in the 1980s is reflected in today's lack of women in leadership positions. In the 1980s, when I lived in Tokyo, only around 12, 13% of women went to uh, four-year university courses, whereas 35 to 40% of men. Naturally, therefore, the pipeline of women in the leadership age groups, say between 50 and 60, um, is very small but that changed rapidly in the 1990s and 2000s as this chart shows. Now, still there's an inequality, but it's much smaller, more than 50% now actually in the latest data um, of of women go to four year university courses. There's a gap still in the top universities, unlike in Ireland and the UK, Um, the top universities, Tokyo University, Kyoto University uh, the top national universities still have a very bad gender inequality uh, issue but in the bulk of universities it's closer to 50 50. so something was changing finally a big change i noticed next slide was the emergence of role models i think that uh, clearly role models are necessary if women are to be able to be motivated satisfied Uh, to satisfy their capabilities, to rise in organizations, and in the past there was really a great shortage of role models, but they were emerging, so that's really what I went to out to interview and to try to study. And these are some examples of the role models um, that I looked at. In the bottom right hand corner there is Ambassador Miyoshi, who you'll hear from in a moment. Next slide. The bottom of that slide is the governor of Tokyo, the first female governor, Yuriko Koike. On the right of the slide is the long white fingered um, president of a uh, waste recycling company. Um, at the top is the jazz pianist and uh, board director at Panasonic. And on the left is the executive chef um, who cooked for the G7 um, meeting um, several years ago. Next slide, please. And in a way, my favorite role model, just because this is the role model that uh, shows dramatically how things have changed in more innovative Japanese companies, is the youngest board member, the only female board member at the big e-commerce company in Japan, Rakuten Ichiba. She's president of Rakuten Ichiba. She achieved that goal much younger than you would in a traditional Japanese company at the under the age of 40. She's married, has just had a baby, um, is, is uh, fully um, uh, fulfilling her, her executive roles, um, and uh, I think she's destined um, for, for greater and greater things. So something is changing, but there's still a big gap. There are cultural barriers, just as there are in, in European countries. Um, there are uh, the same old prejudices that prop up um, as one talks to, to um, those role models, to these women, and as one talks to men. But what I think is happening is that Japan is gradually converging on um, the sort of situation that we see in Europe, where there is clearly substantial inequality, but much less than there is in Japan. That uh, convergence, I think, um, is some part of a broader international phenomenon in which countries, corporations, organizations become more conscious of the importance of diversity, the value of human capital, and I think in the Japanese context and in many European contexts of the importance of and the dangers of job insecurity and depressed wage rates through irregular contracts through through precarious uh, labor markets for um, the growth of demand. So I believe that Japan's future will be far more female, but what is, it, what is at issue is how much more uh, and how that then changes cultural norms, organizational practices, even politics um, in the longer term. I'm gonna stop there. I'm going to ask Francesca just to let us hear from Ambassador Miyoshi who I interviewed in Dublin several years ago for the book, but who now did this video recording for us from uh, Tokyo.
3: So it's a great honor and privilege for me to be here. First of all, I'd like to express my gratitude to Mr. Bill Emot for giving me this opportunity and congratulate him on publication of the book on Japanese. Women. I hope his book would be a bestseller because I am also a small part of it. More than one year has passed since I came back from Iran to Japan. Last autumn, we had a wonderful time to follow the Rugby World Cup in Japan. This year, Japan intended to host the Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games. Unfortunately, we had to postpone. Our new Prime Minister, Suga, declared in his policy speech at the Diet last month that Japan would continue to spare no efforts to bring about the safe and secure Games in the summer next year. As to COVID-19, the signs of resurgence spread have been also seen in Japan as a cold season setting. While urban areas such as Tokyo, Osaka, or Hokkaido have continued to see high numbers, there have been clusters of infections in various parts of the country probably because of poor ventilation. Some experts say the third wave has arrived and that we should be cautious. The government has been trying to advance the recovery of its economy through the resumption of socioeconomic activities while protecting the lives and health of the public. It is encouraging that the vaccines have been developed. The pandemic has, however, revealed various challenges. As for the book's topics, namely gender equality, I'd like to inform you of the latest development in Japan. Last year, Japan marked 121st Among 153 countries in the World Economic Forum's gender gap rankings slipping even further from 110th the previous year, and in the last place among major advanced economies. By the way, Ireland ranked number seven. The administration has adopted policies of promoting female empowerment over the years, including oblig- 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 obliging companies and the government agencies to set the related targets for female employment and raising the number of female managers and senior posts to achieve parity with their male peers. Nonetheless, in 2019, women held only 14.8% of managerial positions in businesses and the civil service, while the ratio of female lawmakers in the country stood at 9.9% in the lower house, or less than 10%, and 14.3% in local assemblies. Like Prime Minister Abe's last cabinet, the current Prime Minister Suga's administration has just two female ministers. The government will present a new goal with a cabinet decision made possibly in December. Under the new basic plan of gender equality, the government will no longer put the target at 2020, but replace it with as quickly as possible, as the ratio of female leaders still remain low after the target was first set in 2003. Although empowering women in society was one of the pillars of the economic growth strategy of former Prime Minister Abe's administration as well as of Prime Minister Suga's administration. Having said that, I'm still optimistic it's my personal opinion that the most important task ahead of us is to change people's mind and attitudes. In other words, way of thinking or consciousness. And it takes years, probably generations. But in the long run, We cannot change the society without people's support. I have been in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for almost 40 years, and various conditions have been changed for the better, gradually, but surely. I was the only female career diplomat who entered the ministry in 1980. But last year, female newcomers were on a parity with males for the first time. Out of uh, 128, 64 females and 64 males. If men and women won't lose hope, I'm sure they can change the society. In a world of uncertainty triggered by the COVID-19, digital transformation and diversity must be the key issues. The new administration will establish an agency in charge of digital transformation which will serve as a control tower for vigorously carrying out reforms. As to the diversity, the government is trying to take various measures to build a society, a social security system that provides peace to people's mind. Dynamic engagement of women foreign national professionals seniors and disabled make a difference in achieving sustainable growth now we have to live with new normal it's challenging but at the same time it's a chance to change people's mind and attitude while i was in dublin I have experienced a lot of interesting events and stimulating gatherings in this regard. I'm looking forward to coming back and meeting friends in person in the near future. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.
1: So, thank you in absentia to Ambassador Miyoshi. Now I'm going to uh, ask um, our panelists, uh, first Akiko Sato um, here in Dublin, and then Helen McNaughton uh, in London to um, offer their comments, um, both on what's been said and what they've read and their their experiences. Akiko-san, over to you first.
4: Hi, thank you very much, Abil. And thank you very much for having me here today. Uh, it's such an honor to be here. And also, hello everyone to the, all the audiences. I can't really see you all, but uh, I pre- uh, hope you can see me OK. And I uh, apologize. Uh, the Wi-Fi was cut off, and I just missed the last bits of the uh, ambassador, former Ambassador Miyoshi's video. But um, I hope I didn't miss it too much. And uh, Uh, I am not really expert expertise of the gender equality, so I'm not, you know, a researcher, but uh, today I think I can provide my personal view uh, from the, you know, experience, working experience in Japan and, you know, in Ireland and and what, what I can see differences between the countries. And when I was working in Japan, that was 20 years ago. So I see that lots lot of things are changed. And especially as Bill, uh, he said that some, you know, uh, the female labor force participation uh, was dramatically increased in the last 10 years. That is a great, you know, that's really good news. And I believe uh, you know, from the macro point of view, I think lots of my female employees uh, are you know, in Japan but my question is, how about the continuity? You know, I think I'm wondering how many people keep working after you know that they got a job uh, after graduating university. And because as far as I remember, like you know, again, uh, this is not based on the research; uh, it's from my personal uh, kind of view. But I believe. Um, Lots of you know Japanese female employees used to uh, quit their job. Um, not after you know, well, some of them you know, quit their job after their marriage, but especially after having a first baby. So I think um, so. Now total number of the female uh, female employees is increasing in Japan. Again, that's great, but uh, I think it would be more great if the continuity rate is going to, you know, going to up. And because uh, in terms of the leadership, I think it's important to keep working to gain the capability to be the leadership, you know, to be the leader uh, or, you know, or being this uh, kind of, s- to take the senior position. Um, because we can't really gain the capability for the shorter period. so. And also, you know, uh, we need a time to uh, gaining experiences or observing, uh, you know, learning uh, in the environment with a female boss or, you know, female senior members. So that's why I think uh, I'm very curious about, you know, uh, the female um, kind of work continuity rate in Japan. uh, well, interp- well, I am working in, in the enterprise at the moment, and I'm very lucky to be in this organization because uh, there's a lot of female uh, the boss, and my, my current boss is a female, and uh, the CEO in my organization is uh, Julie Cinnamon, she is also a female. Uh, so, I can learn and I can observe a lot uh, in this working environment. So hope there's a lot of, you know, uh, such, you know, the organizers in Japan, too. And another point is, um, uh, this is also related to the building capability. But uh, when when I was in Japan, that was a long time ago, it's really long ago, uh, nearly 20 years ago, But uh, uh, at that time, there there are some social norm, or social pressure, or even the system that females should be good at this, like, uh, or you should be able to to do this. Uh, You should have this skill because you are female. So that is really kind of, uh, you know, kind of not giving us to develop, you know, build up our strengths. So, you know, lots of women have to, you know, put a lot of effort into something they are bad at. And as a result, if we, you know, even we put a lot of effort uh, onto something, you know, we we are bad at, we are just going to become not bad. It's not even, you know, good. But imagine if we put out a lot of effort onto something we are good at, we will be very good. So, um, so this, um, the before the society is made some not all of them, they made a lot of you know women to focus on to fixing our weakness because uh, these are things we are supposed to develop the skill, even you know this is not good at. So. Probably, uh, you know, in Japan, in Ireland, uh, I hope women, uh, female employees can focus on to build our strengths more, then I I think this is helped to uh, increase the number of the female reader in the future. I might be wrong, but maybe Helen can tell me (laughs) from the academic point of view. (laughs)
1: Thank you very much Akiko. Um, uh, so we will ask Helen to, um, to come on next and to um, offer her comments on her expertise as a specialist on business and, and on gender issues in business in Japan.
2: Uh, well, thank you to Trinity College Dublin for inviting me to be on this panel discussion and thank you, Bill, and congratulations on the publication of the book, which is uh, rich in interview data and, and the voices of Japanese women and hopefully some role models there. I wanted to focus um, on three big comments, um, some key points that are raised in your book, Bill, and also from my own research on women in work. Um, and I would say that these, I want to focus on three areas where there has been progress for women, but I feel that all of them come with some form of disclaimer or inhibitor that is constricting the outcomes. So first of all, as you pointed out, female labour particip- participation rates have risen, in fact, by 10% over the last decade under Abe's um, term and, and average Uh, female participation labor rate is 71% overall, which is very good by international standards now, but the caveat here is that the majority of women, just under 60% of women, work in non-regular work, which is, as you said, very low paid, uh, very limited in terms of career paths and ability to access pipeline progression. Uh, low security and, and, and high precarity. And so that is leading to that problem of, of pipeline. And in answer to one of Akiko's questions, still around uh, 45% of women will uh, opt out of work when they have their first child, despite good um, parental leave. Um, the second issue is employment legislation so again this is uh, has made very good progress it's been around for 35 years now it's been revised and strengthened a lot over time but there are still and this is the caveat for this one some core loopholes and one of them is that if you look into the equality legislation it still allows for discriminatory uh, practice by marital status in the sense that household heads, which are predominantly men in Japan, can be treated favorably in terms of corporate compensation packages. And it also allows married women, it allows companies to put married women onto non-regular uh, status of work. And this goes hand in hand with um, spousal tax legislation that you uh, talked about in your book, which incentivizes married women and couples to cap the annual income of, of women to around £10,000 a year um, equivalent, which in, in turn reinforces the practice of companies relying on uh, the, the labour of married women, which under part-time status they can work up to 35 hours a week. Uh, 35 hours a week. So that's very low market rate for their, their human capital. So it's a, it's a structural cycle that uh, married women uh, are trapped in and corporates are, are re- replicating along with government uh, legislation. The third area that has made progress, um, which has brought the rates of women opting out uh, at childbirth, for example, down, is that childcare provision has improved under Women on Maxenabe, so there has been an additional uh, 400,000 capacity places. But the demand for childcare places, because Womanomics has been encouraging more women into the workforce, has outpaced the increase. So we still have um, some 12,500 children on the waiting list, which means mothers cannot uh, return to to work. And there hasn't been, as you pointed out in your book, any investment in alternative market forms of of childcare or, or other professional forms of childcare. So this makes it incredibly difficult for married women to combine careers with childcare. And it makes it incredibly difficult for Japanese men to to take childcare and parental leave because they have equal access to this under employment law. So only 6% of Japanese men take up their um, parental leave entitlement. And so, as you said, um, even though there's been a lot of progress made, um, Japan continues to lag behind or rank very low on the World Economic Forum gender. Global, gap, uh, global gender gap ranking. So as you said, they've slid down to 121st place out of 153 nations. And I think um, it's not fair to say that Japan is sliding down necessarily, it's just that other countries are making much more faster progress and Japan is essentially, for want of a better word, is, is stagnating in terms of the gender equality outcomes that are actually happening. So I wanted to just end by um, offering a few thoughts on the potential of the future and and how to what extent it could be more female focused as you pointed out. One thing I think that is happening in Japan is that Japanese women are being encouraged to work as a response to specific economic challenges. So in the 60s and in the 1980s, women were encouraged to work because of high growth and high demand for their labor. Um, And more recently in the 2000s they've again been encouraged to work under womenomics because of demographic challenges, uh, talent shortages again. And so it's an argument that has them as necessary additional labor to alleviate shortages and indeed to boost GDP growth. Uh, but it's it's not an argument that is um, born out of a, mem- a momentum for a gender equality and social justice. So Japanese institutions, government and corporations, they buy into this sort of numerical or economic necessity for women to work. But I don't feel they're really buying into the true benefits of, of diversity and inclusion. Um, So there's now a a large body of research globally that indicates that a critical mass of gender diversity and by critical mass, we need we need 20 to 30 percent of women moving through corporate pipelines, moving up into leadership and managerial positions within companies. And and if that happens, then there are the research has shown there are clear outcomes in terms of higher profitability, greater creativity, greater innovation and flexibility and agility of companies. and and indeed higher fertility in some cases as well, but I really don't think Japanese institutions have bought into that yet in terms of of women in the the marketplace. Um, And the final point is that Japanese institutions, um, government and corporations, again, are only focusing on women and womenomics um, and true gender equality, And and Japan is not alone in this, there is of course, attention needs to be paid to women in terms of allowing them to catch up and access of opportunity. But if you really want gender equality, you need to uh, look at how both sexes or genders op- operate in the in the labour market. And women in Japan are essentially being asked since the '60s to enter to put up with the current status quo, the '60s model of male breadwinner, regular worker, and women part time. Uh, capped income worker. They are being asked to uh, work more under the enduring status quo or they're being asked to compete in a corporate culture that's very male centric, has uh, long working hours, uh, limited reductions in overtime even under recent reform, uh, restricted access to work-life balance and parenting, Uh, kpis that value continuous service as you pointed out akiko commitment after work hours commitment to clients etc regional transfers so women can't or indeed don't want to work like that but the key issue here and i would echo your call to men that you want to do in that book bill is that is anybody asking japanese men how they want to work because i'm pretty sure that Women don't want to work like Japanese men, but Japanese men probably don't want to work like Japanese men either. It's just nobody is asking them. So, I think those gender norms will remain strong while those uh, while those constraints are in place. And so, I, what we're not seeing, and and this is behind the happiness uh, data that you point to, we're not seeing a strong agenda for well-being and resilience. Um, So, you know, as you point out in your book, Japanese women are generally happier than men in Japan and and no wonder uh, in terms of the way men are working. So in terms of a female future, uh, there needs to be new opportunities and a rebalancing for both women and men in the in the workforce. Um, and as a Kiwi, I'm going to vote, my, I'm going to echo uh, a quote by my uh, prime minister last year, Jacinda Ardern, who said, um, and I quote, we need to address the societal well-being of our nation, not just the economic well-being, because economic growth, um, if it leads to, if it's accompanied by worsening social outcomes or, or inequality is not success, it's failure. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you very much indeed, Helen, and also Akiko and uh, Ambassador Miyoshi uh, for the video. I mean, very, very interesting. And and to uh, someone new to this topic and, and with no knowledge of this country, it's quite surprising to me that uh, we see a country which we think to be so progressive, to use Helen's words, stagnating in this regard. I can see questions coming in And I I hope the panel will respond to a couple of these. Uh, We've got, I'm going to go first to two questions which have come in on um, a similar topic, which is to do with Japan's declining birth rate. Uh, Mary Hetherington has asked a question about this and what effect uh, the, um, not only the, the question of the birth rate itself, but also the pressures on women in terms of maintaining any kind of work. Life balance, work-family balance, what effect these are having on the position of women in the work economy. And we have a related question uh, that's come in from uh, Pablo Trabajos. Pablo, thank you for your question. Uh, and he asks: low birth rate has been a problem in Europe and Japan for some decades, with many women having problems taking on career developments while having children? Do you think that this can make the problem worse or the populational problem worse? How is it to be improved? So two questions there that address something that Bill, I know you you take up in your book. Uh, and it's the, the question, not only of birth rate, but the conditions that I think you've touched on already to do with uh, how families manage and, and uh, facilitate women entering the workforce. Maybe Bill, you could come to that and then perhaps to Helen to comment on this?
1: Yes, thank you, Eve. I mean, I think that they are vital questions. Uh, Basically, the marriage rate has been declining in Japan. Um, People are not just getting married later. More and more people are not getting married at all. Um, And the the data on the number of men who reach the age of 50 uh, without being married, it's sort of well over 20% now. Um, Women, it's around 15%. Um, get to the age 50 without ever having been married. Now, that's fine, that's a choice, but uh, Japan's a society where basically birth outside marriage is, is a strong taboo. It's not unknown. Uh, there are single mothers, such as my uh, school uniform recycling uh, role model in the book um, has three children um, as a single mother, but she's very, very rare. Um, and so you have a taboo on, on uh, birth outside marriage and also um a difficult financial situation if you're a single a single parent this decline of the marriage rate has happened because I think because of financial insecurity a lot of academic research shows that but that's both male and female and that's very much goes to Helen's point that really this is this is a societal trend that's about both men's working conditions and women's working conditions and it's a lot to do with financial precarity with short-term contracts that Destroy the traditional breadwinner um, sort of gender norm, uh, as Helen put it, but without then being able to build something else through, as it were, I feel like a profitable form of of self employment or or uh, or a gig economy uh, sort of thing. So, um, I think it it does mean that women in the in the current generation are facing a difficult choice often about, um, about career versus family, just as they do in any country, but is there are fewer solutions still. And the ultimate solution has to come through better um, security in the job market, both for men and women, that then can provide the background to, to family formation. And there's some sort of convergence then of uh, Japanese birth rates on those in Europe, um, which are, are typically uh, higher, even if not in all cases, uh, and very few countries in Europe are as high as Ireland.
0: Thanks, Bill and Helen. You touched on the, the well, I suppose, the lack of of imaginative solutions to the childcare question, whether this is private or, or publicly funded. Uh, is this augmenting the problem or compounding it?
2: Well, I, th- I think, as Bill said, um, you know, these low birth rates um, it, are a combination of both financial insecurity. And, and that is partly because, you know, you don't you might have dual income households in Japan. Indeed, there are more dual income households than there are single income households now. But the problem is that they're not dual career households. And so the distribution of wealth towards women is, is limited. And so, you know, despite being dual income households, they are not, you um, you know the wealth uh, wealth has declined comparatively, comparatively over time um, and so that's one aspect is the financial security as Bill pointed out and the other aspect is to what extent uh, there can be gender balance in child care in uh, and, and terms of parental leave and, and child care opportunities and just juggling you know a long working hours culture at the moment with child care and so we know of course that the Scandinavian countries have, have got good models of this so A country like Norway, for example, has had uh, mandatory compulsory childcare leave for men and women that they that they have to take so it's shared parental leave, it's well funded. Uh, they've combined it with quotas for women in leadership over the over the past few decades as well, so a real encouragement of gender equality in the workplace as well, uh, and so you know that has led to actually good outcomes in in terms of birth rate. Um, so part of the problem in Japan is the is the wage, and I think one of the one of the suggestions Bill makes in his book is to raise the minimum wage, and I would agree with that because it's actually quite comparatively low by international standards, and then we have women as I've said. Capping income because of of, of tax and, uh, and disincentives, or however way you want to look at it. Um, so I think we we do need to somehow, uh, you know, get better financial security there if you do want to raise fertility. That doesn't make people have babies, but it can encourage them to to have more children. Thanks, Helen.
0: And again, some familiar aspects to to that uh, that discussion. Uh, We have a question that's come in which I think, uh, Akiko, I might uh, put to you first, which is from Ida Garrett, who asks, uh, will the pace of technology and artificial intelligence affect gender equality in Japanese society? Akiko, I wonder, is there anything you might uh, be able to say about that? A question, obviously, that affects, again, all nations at the moment, but in in the terms of, of what's happening in Japan, uh, is this something to be concerned about?
4: Yeah, very interesting question. Well, first of all, uh, the I am living in Ireland, you know, quite a long time, so I don't know the current trend in Japan, what's going on. But uh, I certainly I believe certain technology will help uh, you know the situation. But uh, uh, well, I'm not sure it uh, is this correct. But I personally feel. Uh, the the biggest kind of uh, you know issue is a kind of is kind of a society or system that was uh, established by the unconscious bias from the people in the society and uh, because in Japan Japan is quite actually quite a generous country uh, in terms of the regulation so people are entitled to take the maternity leave or parental leave but the people just don't take it so. It's not you know, that we don't have a role, cannot do this. So we are not in a situation cannot do this, but uh, we are in a situation better not to do this or we are not expected to do this. So those social rule is really a uh, kind of, you know, uh, makes women too difficult to, to make the progress. So the, the female worker, numbers of female workers is increasing and they're they working the same hours uh, as the uh, male workers or even the husband, but uh, they have to work, they, they do the longer hours. Uh, they spend the longer hours for the housework or raising the children. So uh, why these things happened? I, I think I believe uh, because we still have some you know, society or system that's suited to the, you know, like, uh, there is a system that suits to the people. If the the female do the housework that suit to you know that that's kind of you know works better in the house because we, we already have a such established system. So it's I think it's really, really hard to change this. And those things you know cannot be changed by you know by the technology. So technology certainly helps uh, the situation, but uh, um, I think uh, the fundamentally we have to change the system or, you know, mentality or, you know, society things that's created by the unconscious vice.
0: Thank you, Akito and Akiko. And uh, we've time, I think I just want to get another question or two in if we can, because there's one that's come in from Nanori Kodati. I hope I pronounced that correctly, but a very good question, I think on whether the panelists observe any generational changes in attitudes to gender, the work-life balance, the question of raising families, and so on. And, and of course, we began by thinking about Japan in terms of the various generational changes that are happening, and, and there's particularly, Bill, as you noted, note in your book, this aging population. Um, but how much is this contextualized by uh, different generations with different values and attitudes Towards gender and work, how much is this going to uh, frame this discussion? Bill, I'll maybe come back to you on that first.
1: Well, I think it's uh, it definitely there are there are generational changes. The question is, are they large enough? Um, but uh, there there's, there's certainly it's much more common among younger men and women, both not to want to work um, the long, rigid hours that, uh, that uh, Helen worked, uh, and. Uh, to uh, be more equal uh, in the home. I wouldn't uh, say that there's evidence that it's absolutely transformational, but rather uh, I think that it is happening. Um, I think you can see um, also um, some generational changes coming through in, in companies, in particularly newer companies, in smaller companies, uh, in more sort of new economy companies. Uh, they are operating in a, in, a, in a, as it were, a less rigid less conservative way as well Uh, and you can see changes taking place in as with the next generation of leadership in for example tokyo university where i'm quite involved on their advisory board and you can see during the 10 years i've been on their advisory board as the generations of leaders have changed so the emphasis for um, making very determined efforts to try to improve gender equality has absolutely raised up the up the um The the priority list, uh, and uh, indeed, now 30% of faculty are female, but still only just over 20% of undergraduates. So there's a huge way to go, but anyway, progress has been made. Briefly on AI, I think that uh, I don't think that that will harm women. I think that women have been much more vulnerable to COVID 19. Um, because they're in irregular jobs, they're in part-time jobs uh, substantially, and they're the ones who lose jobs more quickly, and to some degree that may happen if AI is there, but Japan's working age population is falling by 500,000 people a year, so that there's essentially a long-term labor scarcity. So I think while AI and automation may affect these issues in other countries, it's less likely in Japan.
0: Thanks, Bill. We're we're coming very close to the top of the hour when we're due to conclude. But I just want to fit in one final question, if I may. Uh, Eva Reevely, who asks, who observes the hierarchy is very important in Japan. Is it possible to have a more top down order which mandates parity? Uh, And I suppose that question is really asking about, you know, how much can be done with legislation? How much is a question of waiting for attitude changes? Uh, Helen, I don't know if you um, want to comment very briefly on that and and
2: then we might come back to Bill again. Well I think it ties in with the generational question that has just been asked so yes there is a lot of hierarchy in in Japan and um, you know I, I think a lot of legislation is already there so it is about it is about you know legislation can be tightened up as I said there's still a couple of loopholes but legislation is there on paper it's about attitudes and mindset and I think there's definitely a need for um managerial level level buy-in to all of this. They need to really believe and buy into gender equality. Otherwise, it won't happen. And I'm heartened by the ambassador who said that, um, you know, when she... And this is very similar to corporate uh, interviews that I've made, that when she joined in the 80s, there was a, you know, nominal token women but now it's much more 50 50 in diplomatic recruitment we don't see it quite 50 50 in terms of entry level recruitment in companies but if we can see that then there is of course more opportunity for more women to get through the pipeline but it still relies on managerial buy-in and top management really uh, mandating that to happen as the question posed uh, within corporations to give that pipeline progression or, or help women go through that and to change the progression kpis as well
0: And Bill, anything to add on on this question of legislation and how much it can do?
1: I think that it's hard for legislation to do a lot. As Helen said, that legislation is essentially there. It's about implementation, enforcement, but mainly cultural uh, choices. Um, I think that uh, a general problem in legislation terms is that Japan has opted to go for a kind of cheap labor strategy, both male and female, um, that has, uh, I think, led to all this precarious work. Uh, and that's pressured by biz- big business. But on the positive side, uh, finally, um, in Britain uh, 10 years ago was founded an organization called the 30% Club, which was there for, for lobbying for uh, female representation on boards. Um, and uh, there has been a success in actually getting above 30% in FTSE 100 and there are FTSE 250 boards. Japan, a Japanese chapter was founded last year starting from a lower base, but also has seen progress. And the chair of that Japan chapter is a male CEO of uh, the Shiseido uh, cosmetics and, and, uh, and pharmaceutical business, but there are also other um, male chairman starting to buy in and promote it. There are still exceptions. They are not the rule, but um, a critical mass is what's necessary, as Helen said, uh, and these exceptions start to lead some optimism to creating that critical mass, I think. So it's it's happening, but not fast enough.
0: Yeah, there you are. There you have it from Bill. And, and uh, We've got lots more questions that have come in that we're just not going to get time for, unfortunately, but thank you everyone who's put questions in. I think it testifies to uh, a a real genuine interest in in Japan and what's happening there, not only in terms of gender relations and gender equality, but in terms of of the economic landscape more broadly uh, and uh, and the leadership roles that are being taken on in that culture. Uh, It's been really interesting for all of us to reflect on Japanese society and culture and to think about the changing position of women in this fascinating economy. So my warmest thanks to our contributors for lending us their presence and their expertise this evening. I'd like to congratulate Bill Emmett one more time on the achievement of Japan's far more female future. Uh, You can hear uh, Bill talk again on this subject. He's going to be uh, uh, discussing post-Abe Japan and political leadership. Uh, at an event this Friday. And we'll try to get details of that to you in the chat. Uh, my gratitude as always to the Hub team and particularly Francesco Rafferty who's put this event together. And uh, my thanks finally to everyone who's joined us this evening. Please do come back for other Trinity Long Room Hub events which you can find out about on our website. Uh, until we see you again, take care and a very good night. Thank you. The hub is a community.
1: Manuscript, book, and print cultures, stamping provenance towards the history of the Taimonia Library.
3: As well as being haired. Yes. The hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the
1: communities created Start. by Carl T. H. The hub is
3: about impact. <laughs> the hub is for <laughs> <laughs> In- <laughs> <about laughs> everyone. In- In- In-
2: In- the rise. Here's to the next 10 years.